Welcome to the Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement podcast with your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. This is a place where we discuss different factors that give law enforcement officers the ability to accomplish greater feats and tasks than they would without it. We will have unfiltered, candid conversations with those who have knowledge, know-how, and bring what they feel are these different types of variables to help keep our law enforcement on their top game. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement. I'm your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. Today we have with us the BJJ Cop. That's how you can find him on social media. Sir, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind, we always like to start off with a little bit of introduction, letting the listeners know who you are and what you do and a little bit of your background. Well, <clears throat> currently I uh, co-owner and head instructor of an academy uh, in Austin called Hinton Gracie Austin. I recently retired from law enforcement after about 24 years on the job. Also, I'm a co-owner of a company called Invictus, where we go around and host seminars. We just recently hosted our first competition, trying to uh, encourage and get officers to start training jiu-jitsu, take control of their own training, and, and get themselves ready for, for, for the job itself and doing it safely and getting home safe. That's kind of the main thing I do. I've been doing jiu-jitsu for about 14 years now. Uh, I'm a black belt under integration system, and yeah, it's just pretty much what I do full time now. It's training cops, huh? Tra- training cops, and then my students in the academy. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Invictus and how you came about to bring that program together, or organization, and uh, where it started at, and you know what you guys are doing now, where you're at with that. Yeah, it's interesting. We it started out as uh, just a social media thing. We were. It was just a few cops that did train jujitsu. We're just connecting online through Instagram and uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. and we ended up. A group of us started a, <clears throat> excuse me, started a little messenger group where we discussed topics related to police officers and training, and or the lack of training, and why aren't more officers training jujitsu like they should be, and things like that. And then from there, I found my friend Ari. So this is an old school guy from, he was doing a, he had a web, really popular YouTube page called Submission 101. It's actually still very popular where he had cataloged like hundreds upon hundreds of techniques, jujitsu techniques, like really mm-hmm. well. And I remember as a white belt, I would actually go back. I would look at these techniques all the time before class to try to learn and learn something that I wanted to learn and then try to apply it on the mat. So you know, move forward a decade and uh, Ari and I meet <laughs> online. And at the time when he was doing that website, he wasn't a cop, but about four years prior to us meeting. So he's been a cop for about six, seven years now. He had just started his, his uh, cop career, his police career. And of course I'd been in police officer for quite a while at that point. And we just started talking online, made really good friends. And he wanted to come down to Houston and visit, visit me at Hinter Gracie in, in uh, Houston and train and hang out a little bit. And from there, we just kind of had the idea, let's have a Submissions 101 seminar. I thought that would be cool. Like a lot of the old school guys would be like, yeah. they would remember Ari, and this would be a fun little seminar. And then it morphed into, well, why don't we do a seminar for police officers? And, and then we ended up birthing the Invictus out of that, having the first Invictus seminar. It went over very well. We had like 100 people on the mat the first time nice. we did a seminar, and mostly police officers. And it was very successful. We had a lot of people volunteer to come in and help teach. We wanted to kind of be part of the movement. We take a lot of that money. We donated to, to like Hundred Club in Houston or some other organizations that where the money goes to families, fallen officers or injured officers, that kind of thing, survivors funds. 
And so it was very popular and everybody wanted us to keep doing it. So <laughs> we did another one in Vegas. Very popular. It went very well. And then when COVID hit, so we shut down all our seminars for that year of COVID. Right. But then we just fired back up again and we did one here in Austin. It was our comeback seminar. And again, we had like 120 people at that one. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then we got a... Oops. Still there? Yep, go ahead. All right. So then we got a a hair up my ass. I thought it'd be fun to have a first responder tournament. And I didn't realize how much work goes into running a tournament. (laughs) I'll just tell you, a lot of work goes into running a jiu-jitsu tournament. But we did it. We did it successfully. We had, I think, about 60 competitors. Nice. Our first one. We had a couple super fights. Some high-level guys did some super fights. It was very successful. Everybody had a fantastic time. It went very well. Everybody's already asking for the next one. And... uh, (laughs) It's not a bad problem to have. Pump the brakes, guys. Pump the brakes. But uh, <laughs> definitely, we're going to do another one next year. We may make that an annual tournament. Uh, I think it's. I think the demand's there for it. Uh, and then we got our next seminar, which is Phoenix, coming up next month. Uh, yes, and, and you guys got some got some big guests on that one coming up. Yeah, we have a well, we have a really uh, uh, nice group of instructors that we've accumulated just mm-hmm. through uh, mutual. What's the word I look for? Mutual values and yep. pushing officers to, to train jujitsu. And how can we make it more effective for officers? How can we make defensive tactics for officers more effective? And it's actually led us to a partnership with Chad Lyman and Jay yep. Wadsworth with C4C. We're, we've been brought on as adjunct instructors for the police jujitsu program, nice. which is beginning and starting to spread. And it's a, it's a huge program. And they're doing amazing things. And we're really fortunate to, to be a part of that. But they, yeah, they teach at a lot of our seminars too. Okay. We had Jay on a podcast yeah, a few Wads. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Wads is, he's the man. That dude's the man right there. Yeah. I love Wads. He's very, actually coming down to visit here probably next week. But, yeah, uh, very very knowledgeable guy. guy there. Jiu-Jitsu is unbelievable too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so what are what do you guys focus on? Your, your seminars, those type of things, the law enforcement so, side? When we do a seminar, the idea was uh, a couple – we had a couple goals. One was to bring officers together so that they can network get to know each other, other officers that train jiu-jitsu, to motivate other officers to come in and try jiu-jitsu, to see, hey, there's this big group of officers, there's this big community of officers who train. Hey, I want to be part of that community. I'll go train jiu-jitsu so I can be part of that community and get them, in, you know, investing in themselves in their right. own training. <clears throat> and then uh, ultimately, one of our big goals is to make it to where departments are, are making it mandatory for jiu-jitsu excuse me, jujitsu-based defensive tactics for their officers. What, the, what that means is that jujitsu is not the only answer. It's a, it's a huge part of the answer. It's a big part. It's a very important part, but it's one part of the answer. And so my, you know, at least this is, I speak for myself and I think Ari on this, is we believe all defensive tactics should be jujitsu-based. Like that should be the basis of the defensive tactics program. And then you add on to it with striking, uh, wrestling, some of those things to make it a complete to give an officer a complete uh, range of tools they can use anytime they encounter combative subjects on the street. So that's our number one goal is just to get all officers some type of competent training on a consistent basis. What that does mean, of course, is officers have to invest in themselves because departments are going to pay for guys to train every day. Most right. departments are. Right. Um, just try to get departments to help sponsor some of this and get them involved in going the right direction with their defensive tactics in the United States is a mess. Right. Yeah, I was just talking, uh, just uh, recording with Evandro the other day. And that's one of the things we talked about is, you know, who's responsible for training. Is it 
the officer or is it the department? And, you know, I kind of, I think it's like a, you know, you both have a, a play in that, right? The, the officer needs to be self-motivated to get out there and, and get this stuff going and get it moving. But at the same time, you know, the department needs to provide something. And, and I think what you guys are fine, what it sounds like you guys are trying to do is create a base, right? This is a base. This is, this is a foundation to start off of. And then let's, let's start putting our frame and our house and building and, and on top I, of that. Yeah. And I can tell you, that's a great, I've heard that question before. And I've heard people say departments should be solely responsible for providing the training. <clears throat> and I don't hundred percent agree with that. I think departments are responsible for providing some of the training. Mm-hmm. There's just simple limitations that exist. I retired last year as a Lieutenant. I was an administrator and I got to see that side of it before I, before I ended my career in law enforcement and that, you know, there's a lot of considerations and it's unless the funding is going to greatly increase the departments to allow enough officers to exist in these departments so that people can train on a mm-hmm. three, to four, three to four times a week basis during shift. That'll never happen. And that's honestly probably unrealistic. Right. Um, it's just not realistic. Now I do believe that the departments have it, have a, a obligation to their officers to lead them to and provide them some decent training that's based in reality, hundred percent. Like the departments have an obligation to do that. We're putting guys on the street in very precarious and difficult situations, the officers need to be leading them and giving them some type of tools to do the job. But then the rest is on the officer. The officer has to go and invest in his training because it takes so much time to become competent in a lot of defensive tactics, especially the grappling arts. It takes a long time to, to get really decent at that. And I say that, let me rephrase that. It takes a little bit of time to become more competent than the person you're facing on the street in yes. six months, you can become more competent than most of the people you face on the street. So that's a small investment, but to truly become very competent in grappling arts, jujitsu especially takes many years. Deep investment. Right. No, I totally agree with you. You know, I've people have heard me say it on here before is, you know, I tell my students is this isn't a banker's job. Right? You can't show up at eight, go home at five and work is it, it, it's back in the building, right? As law enforcement, it's a lifestyle. It's what you do all the time. So if you're not willing to invest your own time, your own money into it, you know, you're already behind the curve. No, you're right. And I, actually, I tell people all the time, I'm, I become police officers. So I was like, whether you realized it or not, when you decided to put on a badge and wear a gun, you chose a warrior's profession. This is a warrior's profession. Now, it's up to you whether you want to take it seriously or not. If you're not going to take it seriously, then you're putting yourself, your partners, and the public at risk when you go to work. But if you take it seriously, then you know, kudos to you. That's what you should be doing. Uh, and it's going to require you to invest in your physical health, uh, in your knowledge, and in your skills, which includes handgun, which includes understand, an understanding of striking, wrestling, things right. like that. You need to have be competent in all these things. Now, I don't mean bare minimum. I don't mean the standard because the standard's so low. That's not competence. Like this, you have to be way above the, the standard that department set. The department set a standard that keeps people employed. That's right. all they're doing. They're trying to just make sure they don't lose officers and they check off a box. If they set the standard where it should be, yeah, there would be a lot of officers out of a job. And I, I don't like to sound harsh, but there's probably a lot of officers. You know, I'm not going to say a huge number, but there's definitely a good percentage of officers that shouldn't be on the job because they just don't have the proper motivation or willingness to, to do it right. And they also become a danger, not only to themselves, but to others, right? Fellow officers, fellow community members with that. So yeah, yeah I think that plays a big part in, into it is, you know, 
the officer has to have that self-motivation to get out there or yeah. find it, right? There, there's always places to train. There's always things that you can do to better yourself in relation to defensive tactics, right? We'll see cops at the range all the time, right? But, you know, if you ask a police officer, how many times have you pulled your gun and used it in the line of duty in your career? And then ask them, now, how many times have you went hands-on with somebody? And you then, you know, I usually follow up with, so you're telling me you put more time into something that you're going to use maybe 2% of your career versus something you're probably going to use multiple times a week. Yeah. And that's, you know, shooting guns is fun, right? It is. And there's a lot of officers <laughs> that don't use their guns. They don't go, they don't take their, their, their gun out of the holster, but two times a year. And that's when they qualify. It's uh-huh. two times a year, one time a year. That's, that's the only time that gun comes out of the holster. And there's a lot of officers like that. So it extends across the board, but you should, you know, you should be competent with you. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, they don't want to invest in physical activity. That's difficult. Right. A lot of cops. They just, they don't want to, you know, you got to realize police officers are simply a snapshot of society. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's the same people that are walking around you know, society that, that have chosen to do, to go into public service. I think a lot of cops for the right reason, but not all. Mm. So maybe they look at it as it's a, a secure job with benefits so they run into it for that reason right at the proper motivation and you have your guys who came into police work because it's truly what they want to do and those are usually your more motivated guys yeah. we're just we're just trying to get it across the board and that guy you know let guys realize you don't want to end up on youtube or hurt or someone else hurt <laughs> or the next court case you didn't make the proper <laughs> investment in yourself yeah you don't want to be the next case law with your name tied to it you don't want you don't want your <laughs> name blasted on cnn and fox news and you're right you know, we see what happens to officers when that happens, right or wrong, whether they're in the right or whether they're in the wrong, it never works out well for the officer. So what are you guys seeing in your area with bringing, you know, the Invictus and, and the seminars there? Are you guys finding departments trained a little bit more in those departments that do? Are you finding, you know, getting feedback from them as far as officer safety, you know, things that are going on at their departments, you know, that they say credit back to training? I tell you what we're seeing is a lot. We are seeing uh, departments buy in. We're seeing state training agencies buy in and recognize that jujitsu is a big part, is a, is a good answer to a lot of the issues that we're facing and start to push through officers to get better training. I'm seeing it nationwide, mm-hmm. a buy in for pushing officers to get better training. Uh, I think strangely, <clears throat> this last couple of years with all the, with the terrible things that happened with the George Floyd incident, George Floyd incident, right. other incidents, there's been a highlight put on officers, a lot of it done for negative reasons, but it's displayed to people like, hey, officers don't get any training. Like most officers, they get their badge and their gun and their keys. That's kind of it. Good like luck. You get, academy, you get a little FTO training, most depending yeah. on the department. Yeah. Most, most FTO programs are pretty decent. They put you through the ringer a little bit to make sure you know what you're doing. But then that's it. Like very little additional training is really takes place that's effective. There's a lot of liability training. There's a lot of checkbox training that departments are getting done. But truly effective training, there's very little of that. And I'll tell you what's really interesting. So I, I travel and I teach cops all over the country. And, and when you provide the basic, just the bare basic, decent training, mm-hmm. like basic white belt stuff, right? And it's, of course, it's applied towards officers. So it's applied towards officer techniques. Officers who've never received that training before are blown away. They're right. just like, man, we need to be doing this all the time. Yeah. So yeah. 
You can go sign up at a jujitsu academy, and you'll get, depending on the academy, though. But right. if you still sign up at a good one, you'll get a lot of this on a regular basis. Uh, and it's not hard to do. And if, you, if your department would invest in you guys and provide you guys with some good courses and some, and some good instructors to come in and, and teach you guys this stuff on a somewhat consistent basis, you'll get good training. It's not complicated. It's no, it's actually, not. You know, simple stuff. Yeah. But they don't get it. They never yeah. see competent training. It's, it's rare. Right. We, we do that with some of our, you know, some of the guys that come through the uh, academy where I was at and they would, you know, what do you mean? You know, you're half my weight and you can hold me down. Oh, it's just, yeah. it's learning. It's, it's understanding the human body is what it is. Understanding the mechanics of it. And, and there, you know, there's little things that I can do that will make life more difficult for you. Right. And all I have to do is let your gas tank get below mine. And well, mm-hmm. now you're, you're going to do what I say. Sure. <laughs> For sure. It's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely like that. And yeah, it truly amazes me that, that the bare basic amount of training necessary to give officers some decent tools is rarely provided. Yeah, it it's getting better. It's getting better, but it's rarely yeah. provided. You yeah. see PPCT, you see, I still see departments using Krav Maga, you know, stuff that like, whatever. I'm not, down in Krav Maga, but as a use of force tool for police officers, I don't think it's a very effective tool. You know, um, yeah. What I what I always look at for when I'm talking and in, in evaluating programs and things that we use or things that we're going to adopt into a program is, does it have awareness for my tool belt? Does it keep me safe? And can I get away when I want to? Those are my three three things. And if if we can pass that those three basic requirements, then we can look at it further, right? Something that mm-hmm. doesn't keep aware of that doesn't have, in my opinion, doesn't have a place in law enforcement defensive tactics. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree hundred percent. You always got to look at the end goal. What's your end goal? Right. End goal is to put someone safely in custody with as little people, as little, as little harm done as possible. And how can we achieve that goal? Right. And that includes me. That includes the person we're arresting. That includes the general public around us as well. And, you know, like you were saying earlier, it doesn't take a lot of training for a police officer to be able to out technique the general public, right? To be the able to, to control, right? Uh, you're going to have your, you know, you're going to have your few that do train, right? And, and that you may come up, but for the most part, most of your clientele, most of those that you're going to encounter as a law enforcement officer that are going to challenge you, most of them don't know nothing more than the average guy next to him. And that little bit of control technique is going to put you way up here, you know, compared to that police officer who knows what that average Joe knows, which is nothing. You're right. And there's just other factors. You have factors, size, strength, athleticism. Those are all factors in dealing with Mm -hmm. with someone on the street that come into play. And And therefore your level of training and knowledge of technique becomes even more important when dealing with individuals like that, but on your, I think your average individual you deal with that, that resists, which most resisting people are the passive or, or not actively assaulting you, but simply just trying to get away. Right. Because this is what we most of what we can encounter, you know, jujitsu and, and a good solid defensive tactics programming can handle and answer, give officers the tools to answer most of those issues that we encounter. And along with the, uh, you know, the confidence that comes with that yeah. and the ability uh, yeah. to know, right. Yeah. I, the ability to know I shouldn't put hands on this person. I need to wait until somebody else comes. Right. Or, you know, you know, this, I I think that's what I find. And, you know, I have 
police officers have a hard time kind of understanding is just because you have that badge doesn't give you the superpower. There's people that you have no business putting hands on unless you have other people with you. And I think through defensive tactics training, you learn that stuff, right? You learn that like, you know, yeah, he does need to go to jail and he's going to go to jail, but does he really need to go right this second? Or am I okay to wait five minutes for backup to get here? I always prefer to have multiple friends with me when I have yeah. to wrestle. There's nothing wrong. There's no ego. Check the ego. There's, there's no ego involved in that. You want to go home safely. There's a reason we work in groups. Most of us, not all departments are, are that fortunate. Some people have to work by themselves. There's a lot of departments like that. Right. But you always have usually surrounding agencies that can help out. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you can ever handle a situation with multiple officers. And a lot of times guys see multiple officers then their, their feeling of wanting to be combative reduces. It, it reduces how many of those guys actually want to be combative the more officers they see on scene. Because then they see the helplessness of it. Not everybody. There's some guys who are just knuckleheads. <laughs> they just like to scrap they just and throw it down no matter what. Right? <laughs> right. We deal with those guys, how we deal with them when we have to. And the multiple officers is the best. Give me one second. I'm on the middle of a podcast, man. I'm so sorry. Can I? Oh, yeah. So can I just sign this up? Yeah. Um, let me give you a Lydia's information. You want to say Yeah, it's essential on email, but um, I'll have a link there. No worries, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. So, anyway, so well, let's jump into something maybe a little bit. How do you guys incorporate firearms into your defensive tactics training? Or do you guys like weapons retention, that type of deal? Correct. Yeah. We we have a system that was developed. It's not like they invented it, but they've developed a system with uh, dealing with edged weapons and as well as far as weapon retention, as well as when to create space and draw, when not to draw, things like that. So a lot of that is inside of the program or part of the teaching, which is very important because a lot of officers don't know when to draw. Don't know when to stay, don't know when to keep the weapon in the holster, when to close <laughs> distance and deal with things yeah. that way. You know, such as drawing on a drawn weapon and things like that. Learning those decisions, helping with those decision-making skills is part of the, definitely part of the training program that we do with police jiu-jitsu with Chad Lyman and Jay Watts. So yeah, it's a, that's an important part. A lot of officers are either way too quick to pull the firearm or they get into waters too deep before it's time to pull, pull out the firearm. And that's definitely part of the training is knowing when to pull, when not to pull, what, when to keep it in your holster, stuff like that. When to let those weapons retentions do their thing, right? That's yeah. What, yeah. What, what you got to be careful with some of these holsters when they fall apart. Yep. And, and that's where, you so know. Riddle Wands is known for ripping holsters <laughs> off his uh, weapon <laughs> Yeah, we saw some He's of those. He's got a good record of, of uh, destroying some weapon holsters. Yeah. And then, you know, you also got to keep in mind with that is, you know, your weapons retention piece of being able to transition from fighting to being able to retain that weapon, right? Whether it be in the holster or out and then securing it and getting it put away back into a place where it is secure and, and, right. and understand how to, your hands. Yes. Understanding how to create distance when the proper time is to create yes. distance, when the proper time is to close distance, how to create distance. You know, a lot of people move back and forth instead of at angles, which is very important. Something you'll hear Chad say a lot is, which is hundred percent accurate is angles win fights. Angles win fights with hands, angles win fights with guns, angles with fights with knives. 
angles always win fights. The, the person with the superior angle is typically going to going to come out on the top of that encounter. So, I like that. Absolutely. I like that. And, and you know, you look at professional fighters. You know, they use angles. Angles win fights. They always create new angles, so they have the best angle to create their attacks. Right. It's all about angles. You know, that <laughs> training. But uh, with good training and understanding angles, you'll you'll come out on top more times than not. Right. So, but again, that goes back to what do you need to do? You need to be trained. Yep. A lot of in, in so we talk about angles. You will the more you train, you'll naturally create angles on your own just through training. So you're training all the time. You're used to engaging in live training or rolling or however you want to call it, sparring you know, multiple times a week, you learn naturally to create angles through training, you're taught angles, but then through actual live training and live sparring, you learn how to use angles to, to get the better of your opponent, to get the tap, to get the superior position, whatever it is, you learn those things naturally. And so when you're on the street and you understand angles, if you have to get engaged with somebody, you naturally work the better angles. So it's very important to, to, it just goes back to needing to do a lot of training. You need to be training on your own consistent basis to, to understand these concepts. So, and that way you can apply them. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, how do we get cops there? That's the question. Huh? That's the big question that everybody, you know, we'll call it the, the I, next you know, wonder wish, of the I world. I wish I had the magic bullet. I wish <laughs> I had the magic answer. You know, we were work, we've been doing this for two or three years now. Three years now, we've been fighting this this battle with trying to get cops to train and it's getting better but again it comes down to self-motivation it does and um not all cops are self-motivated you know some cops are just in it for the eight hours eight and skate go home and uh, they're not interested in in being better they're not interested in getting themselves better they're good to go with the status quo they use terms like it's never happened to me why would i need it you know just what i'm doing is good enough so far Things like that. Works for me. You just, in my opinion, you just gotten lucky so far. Yes. Um, when I started jujitsu, I started because I knew I needed something else because I was already on the job for a few years and I was getting into encounters and I was getting lucky, but at least I was self-aware enough to know, hey, it's not just because I'm just a natural badass and I'm just taking these, these <laughs> right. guys down and getting cuffed. No, I'm getting lucky. Like I'm getting lucky with these guys. And uh, I'd had a, a tough one where it took me a while to get someone in custody. A weapon was involved. It was a very nerve-wracking situation. Everything worked out safe. No one got too hurt or anything like that. But it was really a light bulb moment for me where it's like, I, I got to do something more than nothing. And uh, so I started seeking out what's the best, what would be the best thing for me to use to get good at to help me with the job. And it ended up being uh, jujitsu. And mm-hmm. walked into my first jiu-jitsu academy and fell in love with jiu-jitsu right away. I knew immediately this was the answer because yeah. that's exactly what we were doing. We were grappling each other, which is what I was doing at work. And plus, I just fell in love with the art itself and how much fun it is and the community of people involved. And, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. After, and, after that point, so. yeah and, you know, as, as I'm talking to more and more people, you know, more departments are leaning towards that jiu-jitsu based systems because there is something good about that right there there is definitely a, a good foundation a good understanding of controlling somebody that, that comes out of jiu-jitsu versus well, the whole the whole systems. jiu-jitsu is all about physical control of another person yep it's all about physical domination of another person without i mean you can use strikes 100 percent, and strikes are part of defensive tactics but you know you can really use jiu-jitsu to really minimize how many strikes you have to use how you use them 
uh, to accomplish whatever goal it is you're trying to get to. Yeah, it's all about controlling the body. It's the perfect de-escalation technique, in my opinion, if you can grapple someone to the ground and hold them down without having to strike them and, and prevent them from striking you, or at least minimally. Hold, and, hold uh, the will out them of them. themselves out. What is that again? Hold the will out of them is what I tell people. <laughs> hold the will out of them. Yeah, and you can yeah. see that. You see the will come out of them real quick. When, yeah. you, when, you, when you latch on and you put them on the ground and they realize they can't really do much about it, you can see that will to fight yeah. uh, disappear pretty quick. And people can com- become pretty compliant pretty fast once they know it's over and they can't, there's not much they can do about it. So, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit more about Invictus, what you guys, where you guys are based out of contact information, how people can find out about you. Cause you guys have a great seminar in October in Arizona coming up. So give us a little bit more info about that. I'll make sure to post this before your guys' seminar um, so that Um, people can hear about it. So you can find us uh, at InvictusLEO.com. That's our website. And then Invictus official is our Instagram handle. My business partner, Ari actually is based out of Canada up in Victoria and I'm down here in Austin, Texas. I was living in Houston when we started it, but I've moved to Austin since then. So we're working together between the mm-hmm. two of us. But yeah, go to the Invictus Official on Instagram, InvictusLEO.com. We also have a Facebook page, Invictus, just Invictus. I think it's Invictus LEO Jiu-Jitsu Collective. I think, yeah, that's Facebook it. Page. And then you can find Ari at the Ari K on Instagram, like A-R-I-K-A-Y. And then you can find me, BJJ underscore cop. And we all link back to Invictus. So yeah, you, you hit know, one of yours and everything's all linked together. Pretty much there. You got Wise, you got Chad, you got some other guys. Yep. And one you'll find them all. Yeah, we all link around to each other. So you can find all of us through through there. Yeah, maybe next year I'll try to get down to the Say what? seminar. Next year I'm gonna try and get down to the uh, Oh yeah, well we tournament. have yeah, yeah, we'll have definitely have well you know, the next tournament, you know, we're hoping to maybe do it in New York City. It turned into a nine eleven tournament on accident. <laughs> uh, we were trying to do it in November. Cause I want as much time as possible to right. work out the kinks. Cause I, after we accepted the project, I knew it was like, oof, this is going to be a lot. And, uh, but masters worlds, no gi worlds, all the tournaments are, are towards the end of the year. So well, this is a terrible time to do it. Cause you know, <laughs> people want to go do that. Right. So we moved it to September and the only weekend we all had open was September 11th. I didn't even realize it was September 11th when we picked that weekend. I was just, Trying to find an just open weekend. weekend. We still do it. We're like, okay, second weekend of September works. Let's just do that. And we were like two weeks into it when I realized this is on September 11th. We're doing a tournament on September 11th. And, uh, but then it was like, okay, at first I was like, well, maybe that's not a great idea. But then we looked at it and we're like, actually, it's a perfect idea. Yeah. Um, to do a tournament on September 11th for first responders and vets because we allowed vets to participate as well. So we actually, it turned into a really nice moment. We had a lot of guys who, either joined were active during 9-11 or joined right after 9-11 that were vets that came in or police officers during 9-11. And it was an important day for them to just come and compete and make friendships and connections with guys. And uh, we had, it turned into like a really special day for a lot of guys, for us included. So our goal is maybe next year to be able to actually do it in New York during 9-11 weekend. And uh, we were looking at a couple of facilities up there that are law enforcement facilities Right. And yeah, it would be a real special. That'd be cool. Special day if we can do it up there, we expect it would be a pretty huge turnout. Yeah, and maybe make part of the 9/11 Memorial Weekend where they have at the Freedom Tower and stuff like that. Make a whole make a whole thing of it. We'll see how it turns out, but we're, that's where we're headed right now with that with next year's tournament. So sweet, that's awesome. Well, sir, 
appreciate what you guys are doing out there and you, trying to get this movement of jujitsu and defensive tactics out to these officers. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me, man. It's a, it's an honor. Appreciate it. anytime someone wants to hear my 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 voice for whatever <laughs> reason. I have no idea why, but I feel I'm glad to it's good things to talk about. That's why. Yeah. yeah, and you know, hopefully, I'll be able to get out to a, uh, a seminar here, and uh, you know, it'd be pretty cool. We do a, a live recording at, at one of the seminars with a couple people. Oh, that would be, uh, be pretty cool. Just get a couple. You know, you come to a, you know, it'd be kind of cool if you came to a, the tournament and did like I don't know, like a live broadcast during the tournament. Yeah, we'll figure out some. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. I think it'd be yeah. be a good time. All right, man, it was good. It's good talking to you, man. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, as I do every week, I remind everybody to get out there and find a way to be better for themselves, be better for their friends, be better for their family, and most importantly, be better for those that they encounter daily in their jobs. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, man. Love it. Awesome. That's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend so you never miss an episode of Force Multiplier for law enforcement. Another way that can help us grow and reach more listeners and agencies is by leaving us a review. They are read and the feedback is taken on how to make this podcast even better to reach our community and different law enforcement agencies. 